Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. If you didn't know me, I am uh, what you call a true Miami Heat fan since 1988, baby. Since back in the days, since... Uh, some of you have no idea, but Ronnie Cycli, Grant Long, Glenn Rice, some of the originals back in the day. Um, so, so I say, I say the Miami Heat are the best team in the world. That's what I say, right? Um, so so I, I might believe that. How many of you know that I might believe something, but it might not be true? That It's possible to believe something, and it might not be true. Can I get an amen? But this we know is true. The Miami Heat are. <laughs> and... Uh, on a serious note, there is power in prayer. I don't think God is sitting there waiting to see who we're going to pray for for winning a sports game, but there is power in prayer. And can I just give a quick shout out to our prayer team here at Vertical Church, our prayer team. If you didn't know, we have a prayer team who is active every service. There are people in here who are praying right now. You might not know who they are, but they're in here praying and interceding for every single person here and connected online that God would have a moment with you. Um, and there's also people on our prayer team that are praying throughout the week for all kinds of things in our church and all of the families and all of you as well. There's power in prayer. Um, I, I want to go right to a verse. Don't look for it. Right here up on the screens. I want to just kick it off with John 8:31. Look what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, pa pause, to the people who had what? Believed him. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What will the truth do? Set you free. Come on, say it. Set me free, Lord. Set me free. Here's a point today at the beginning. The truth about God will set you free. And that's good news because nobody wants to be chained. No one, nobody wants to be enslaved. Nobody wants to be stuck. We all want to be free. Today I want to talk about belief. Everybody say belief. Your beliefs really do matter. Now, beliefs are what you believe in your head and accept in your heart as being true. By the way, I just, I just proved it, even if they're not true. <laughs> so sometimes what you accept in your head and your heart to be true are not necessarily true, but you still accept them and you believe them anyway. And this is important to understand. By the way, an example of this for many, many years throughout history, there was a season of life where people thought that the earth was flat. And this concept of the earth being flat limited a lot of the reality of the solar system of the planets, of the way God created the world, and it limited people's abilities and understandings. And in the same way, when we believe something that is not true to be true, it will limit us in many ways. Just because you believe something doesn't necessarily make it true, because everything should be examined under the light of the truth of the gospel, which is the word of God. Can I get an amen? Your beliefs are important because your beliefs will set you up for either joy or misery. Your beliefs will set you up for either peace or worry, freedom or bondage, expansion or limitation. Your beliefs really do matter, and they should be founded upon or built upon the truth of God's word. Now, the most important belief that you have or that I have is our belief about God. That's why it's important to read and understand and take in God's word. I specifically want to focus today 
on what do you believe about how you can have a relationship with God. And I want to do it from a, from a different angle, if you'll kind of ride this journey with me today. Here's the title of today's message. False beliefs about God. False beliefs about God. Anybody bring your word today, your Bible to church? Let me see it. If you brought your sword, as, as Christians, the sword, the word of God is powerful. It is our truth. I'm going to invite you to open it up. If you didn't bring your Bibles, okay, we're going to have the verses up on the screens. By the way, I'm going to give you like three passages for those of you who have your physical Bibles. So in certain moments, you can jump in with me. But I think there's like over 20 Bible verses today. So a lot of them, I'm going to say, hey, look at the screen to save some time. But if you have your Bible, open up in Matthew 25. We'll start there in a few moments. Matthew 25, a little bit later, we're going to go to John 3, and you can remember that by, you know, the most famous verse in the Bible, uh, and then a little bit ahead, we'll be in the book of Romans, Romans 5. So, so Matthew 25, John 3, Romans 5, put little markers there that'll help you get a head start in some of the moments. A lot of the verses we'll read up there. Is it okay if we pray to kick things off? Yeah, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house, uh, to receive your word, and to understand your truths in a, in a better way. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, and minister to our hearts. I pray that many of us would be encouraged and that we would learn something that helps us and that will help us help others. Speak to us, we ask, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. False beliefs about God. I want to take some time to unpack some false beliefs, and at the end we'll unpack the best truth, the best news ever. And, uh, and, and I think I want, what I want to do is I want to expose these false beliefs and then I want to back it up by the truth from God's word because it is important to build our relationship with God on the foundation of the gospel truth of his word, not on the false beliefs or human ideologies. Are you guys ready? You guys ready to jump on? As a communicator, I got to make sure everybody gets on the bus and goes on the tour with me. Are you with me? All right, number one, false belief number one. Here's the first false belief we're going to talk about. This belief that God either saves or condemns everyone regardless of their faith. There's this false belief about God that's out there, that God either saves or condemns everyone regardless of their faith. I think all of us would agree that the most important aspect of your relationship with God is connected to where you go when you die, eternity. And in light of eternity, this life here on earth is pretty short, so we do want to know, and we are concerned with, well, what happens when I die? And according to what God's word says, will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? Some people believe this, that we have no choice in this matter, that it has just universally been determined that everybody's either going to be saved or everybody is going to be condemned. That, that's God's verdict, and it applies to all of us. This is a false belief. This false belief is known as universalism. Let me uh, define it up here on the screen for you guys. We'll read it together. <clears throat> Universalism is the philo philosophical and theological concept that some generalized norms, values, or ideas have universal application to all people and cultures regardless of the contexts or conditions. So universalism says that God's just going to either save everybody or he's going to send everybody to heaven or he's going to send everybody to hell, condemnation. And we got to look at both of these. First of all, is this true? No. Universalism is not a biblical or God-backed concept because we know that God is not going to save everybody because it's contrary to his nature. God is a holy God, he is just, and he has righteous standards. And because, God's, because of God's holy, uh, just, and righteous standards, there are some people who don't belong in heaven. 
Okay, for example, how many of you would agree that unless Hitler had some major repentance before death, he is not a person who belongs in heaven? And in the same way, anybody who breaks the law and doesn't come to Jesus. Um, this concept of universal salvation, according to God's word, is not true, even though many believe it. So just because I believe something doesn't mean that it's true. Are you with me? Now, the other side is also not true. The idea that God will condemn everyone, that he's so sick of the world and the sin that everyone's just going to hell. Again, this is contrary to the nature of God because he is a God of love, compassion, and mercy who, by the way, wants a relationship with us. So we have to understand these two extremes of universal salvation and universal condemnation are contrary to the truth of God's word. Where do we find an example of this? Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I'm trying to equip you with some knowledge from God's word that will help you, not only in your own beliefs, but help you uh, speak to others who maybe bring these challenges to you. Matthew 25, verse 1. You might have read this parable before this Jesus speaking. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, another version says virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming! Come out and meet him! All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him for the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. So Jesus is obviously talking in this passage about his return and the fact that he will come back again for us. But what I want you to notice most in this passage is that there was a group of people who were ready for him to come, and there was a group of people who were not ready for him to come. This biblical passage, as well as many others, expose the false belief that salvation is just given to everybody or that everybody's just going to hell. No, there are choices on this journey. So, so, so hear it here today. Your eternal destiny is not a universal decision. It's a personal decision in your life. Can I get an amen? That's a good place to say amen. amen. False belief number two. False belief number two is the belief that there are many roads to God. False belief number two is this belief that there are many roads to God. This is absolutely false. This, by the way, is very common in today's world. A lot of people believe, well, it really doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what you think about God or, or where you lie on your, your position or what you believe. Just as long as you're sincere, as long as you're a good person, as long as you're trying to think what you, do what you think is right, because after all, all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. Don't worry about it. Just be kind. Be kind of spiritual. Be a good person and everything will be okay. This is absolutely false. It, is not, it does not line up with the truth, which is our standard. The first belief we talked about is universalism. Theologically, this second one is known as pluralism. 
Okay, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of theological and doctrinal understanding as well. Pluralism, let me read the definition with you. <clears throat> Pluralism is the belief that claims that all religions are equally true or that one religion can be true for some and another for others. It's the belief that there are many roads that lead to God. Have you ever spoken to somebody that believed this? Have you maybe believed this? It's possible that maybe you still believe this because this is one of those beliefs that has been out and will continue to be out because remember that the enemy will always put things out there that will come against the truth. That's why everything has to be lined up against the truth. Now, now the reason that we as Christians believe that pluralism or many roads to God is a false belief is because Jesus himself contradicted this. And by the way, if there's anybody who's an authority on how to have a relationship with the Father, it should be Jesus for us. Uh, let's go to John 3.16, okay? That fit in the, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. It's known as the heart of our Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. By the way, who was his son? Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice that the qualifying statement is whoever believes in who? In Jesus. It doesn't say whoever believes in someone nice. It doesn't say whoever believes in whatever they want to believe in. He said whoever believes in Jesus will not perish and have everlasting life. John 14, 6. Go a few pages over to the right. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven if it's not through me. Notice that Jesus did not say I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. Choose whichever one you think is nice. He is very clear and definitive in saying I am the way, the truth, the life. Ain't nobody going to get to Papa if it's not through me. Pluralism contradicts the very teaching of Jesus himself. Are you seeing it? Not only did Jesus teach this, but the apostles understood this at the beginning when they started preaching. Look what John 20 verse says. Go, go over to John 20. Interesting here, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his, his disciples, which are not recorded in the book. In other words, there's so much that Jesus did that there's not enough. I mean, it would have to be volumes of Bibles. But these are written, the ones that are here, they're written that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, which means Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. Believing in whose name? Jesus. It's believing in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Buddha or Muhammad or Allah or Mary or virgins or saints. Only in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It's up on the screens. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's only in the name of who? Jesus. 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life, check it out, is in his Son. Who is the Son? Jesus. Whoever has the Son, Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son, Jesus, of God, does not have life. Can you get any clearer? 
This is very clear. There's no doubt about it. There's no question about it. We've clarified it that God has not said, okay, everybody's going to heaven or hell. Universalism, that's a false belief. And also there are not many ways to God. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. Pluralism is a false belief because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. False belief number three. Is this helping anybody today? Is this helping you? All right, come on. Give somebody an elbow. Say, this is helping me. False belief number three. Now, this was going to challenge a few. False belief number three is this belief that God has predetermined salvation for some and condemnation for others. I might be stepping on some toes here doctrinally or theologically, uh, depending on how and where you were raised. And so, and so we're going to speak to what we see in God's word, and then we're going to back it up with the word of God. We're talking here about what's known as predetermined or predestined. This, this, false, this belief, number three, is, is the belief that God somehow looked down on humanity and he said, okay, let me see, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. Heaven, hell. I know you're married, she's going to heaven, you're going to hell. Heaven, hell. Uh, think about it for a moment. God doesn't operate this way. He doesn't operate in a predetermined fashion and I'm going to give you several reasons why, okay? Why God does not predetermine who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Number one, because God gave every human being something called free will. Everybody say free will. Wasn't that a movie when I was a kid about the whale? Not free willy. <laughs> free will. And God does not violate your free will. If he made the choice for you, then you wouldn't be a person. You would be a puppet. You would be a robot. God created us in his likeness and in his image, and he gave us free will. And with free will always comes responsibility. And you and I are responsible for the choices that we make. Another reason why God doesn't predetermine who's going to heaven and who's going to hell is because God is a loving God. He cares about people. He would never predetermine a choice to send someone to death and destruction. He's a loving God who wants, the Bible says, who wants all people to be saved. Another reason is because that would limit the atoning grace of Jesus Christ for us on the cross at Calvary. It was only good enough for some. That's not what I believe. Let me, let me give you guys a little illustration to help understand. And, and again, some of you who are maybe newer in the faith, that you're kind of taking this in, you're receiving this, you understand it, you're kind of amening. If you kind of grew up in a different kind of theological or doctrinal thesis, this might, might challenge you. And that's why it's important for, always, for us to always take things to the word of God. Okay? So let me give you an illustration uh, to kind of understand what I want to talk about here. Let me give you this first picture. And let's call this the plane of salvation, just as an illustration. What is it the plane of? Plane of salvation. God has, he has a destination that he's predetermined, he wants everybody to get to. And, and, the, and the destination is salvation or heaven, okay? And, and so let's say this is the plane of salvation. Uh, God's desire and will is that everybody would get to the predetermined heaven and salvation. That's where this plane is headed, okay? But as, in, as with any plane, and anybody who flies knows this, as with any plane, there are steps to get into it. There are steps to get onto it. So let's go to the next picture. You have to board it. 
And in essence, if we're understanding that the plane of salvation is the desire that God has for all of us to reach the destination, we would see the steps as free will. God gives us a choice. He doesn't force me. He doesn't grab you by the throat and says, get on. And at the same time, he doesn't just not care and says, oh, let's see if something happens and he decides. We're going to talk about why, but God didn't say, okay, you can get on the plane, you can get on the plane. Uh, you, go, you go to the door with a red glow on the other side. You get on the plane, you get on the plane, no, go, to the, go to the door with a little H on top. Right? That, that's, that's not what we believe. Now, he does have a predestination, which is heaven. He does have the stairs, which is what he's given us, free will. And God, in this free will, calls you and me to salvation through something called the preaching of the gospel. By the way, anybody remember what the gospel means? It means good news. So that every time the good news of the gospel is preached, what's actually happening in the spirit is that the Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself, drawing people to the Father, drawing people to Jesus. Whenever and wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ, unadulterated, is being preached, the Holy Spirit is drawing people to God. And that's the whole idea. The Holy Spirit wants to draw you and me to this plane called salvation, which only comes through Jesus. He's the way, but we have to decide to get on board. Because A, we're not puppets. B, we're not robots. And C, we're not being forced by a whip-holding God. At the end of the day, who gets to make the decision whether you get on the plane or not? You make the decision for yourself. I make the decision for myself. Only in his grace, we're going to talk about that, Okay. But all, the only two answers are, yes, I accept, I believe, I receive, I want. Or, no thanks, I don't believe, I don't accept, I don't want to get on. God's not going to force you to get on the plane of salvation. But he will do everything possible to draw you to himself and to the plane. Uh, many of you might remember maybe when you were first learning about God. Maybe for you it was days, for some of you weeks, for some of you months, and others maybe years of that process of God and the Holy Spirit really tugging after you. And finally, maybe one day, if you, if you did get to that point where you said, oh my goodness, I repent and I receive by grace what God has for me. Eventually, you have to exercise your free will to make the choice to say yes or no. Let me add one more thing here, predestination. And foreknowledge, so the issue of predestination, yes, there is a predestination, and the predestination is the destiny of salvation. That's what God, he wants everyone to reach there. Now, will everyone get on the plane? No, everyone won't, won't get on the plane. Sadly, some of our family members that don't believe in Jesus, friends, people around the world that believe other religions, it's not, all roads don't lead to heaven. And so predestination is the destiny that God has called us. But then there's this other thing called foreknowledge. People get these confused. So the foreknowledge, it means that God knows. So question, does God know if you'll get on or not? Yes, because it's his, he has foreknowledge. It's also his omniscience. He is, he is omniscient, which means he knows what? He knows everything. He knows everything before and after, during. He knows everything. It's part of his sovereignty. But, but the fact that he knows, does that mean that he forces you? No. And so and I think this is the place that brings a lot of clarity for people. So just because he knows who's going to get on the plane doesn't mean that he makes you get on the plane. He knows that's his foreknowledge because he's omniscient. And so what I want you to see is that there is a plane of salvation. 
that there's a free will that you and I exercise by the drawing of the Holy Spirit and the gospel drawing us to God. And let me just say this today. If you have not gotten on the plane, today could be the best day of good news for you in your life. And you can make that decision. And you can say, yes, God's saying today is your day to get on this plane called salvation. And it's the best choice you could make. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes, I believe so let's look at some scriptures. Pastor Varj, can you show me some evidence? All right, John 1, John 1, verse 10. Again, I'm going to shoot these out, kind of popcorn style, because there's a lot of verses. John 1, verse 10, and it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, speaking of Jesus, the world did not recognize him. Check this out in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, to his own people, but his own did not receive him. Do you see that it's a choice to receive or not receive? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see that some didn't receive him, some did receive him? Does that sound like free will, like choice? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Does it say there that he wants the predestined to come to repentance? No, it says that he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to board the plane of salvation, but, but he won't force you. Mark 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of the predestined. No, what does it say? Preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes... And is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Whoever believes, not just the pre, it doesn't say go in the world and preach to the predestined. If it's already predetermined, then why even preach? If it's already pre, if it's already predetermined, you're saved. You're, no matter what you do, then why evangelize? First Timothy two one verse one. I urge then, first of all. That petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For who? All people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live in peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people. Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And eat with that person and they with me. One more, Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9. Check it out. You've heard this before. If you, by the way, if you, doesn't that imply it's a choice? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Notice that it says, if you. God doesn't do this for you. So this belief that God somehow predetermined salvation for some and hell for others is a false belief. All right, false belief number four. This is the last one I'm going to share with you. Is anybody learning something here today? Is this helpful? Okay, number four, false belief. That a right relationship with God is the result of being good and doing good. This is a false belief. It's not true. Let me give you another picture here on the screen, okay? Let me give you another picture here on the screen. If production can help me with that real quick. What do you see here? You see a scale, right, or a weight scale. 
And a lot of times, a lot of times people believe or think that the way you obtain God's favor or the way you obtain God's love or the way that you might be saved and reach heaven is if you have more weight on the good side, more weight than on the bad side. Um, this, this, this is important because this kind of belief system affects two dimensions, your day-to-day relationship with God and also your mindset about eternity. Now, this belief is specifically called legalism, okay? The first one, false belief, we called universalism. The second one, uh, we called pluralism. third one, I didn't give you an ism. The, this fourth one, let's call it legalism, legalism. Legalism is this idea that my relationship with God is based on my performance, that if and when I'm really good and follow the rules, God loves me. But if and when I'm bad and don't follow the rules, I'm not worthy of God's love anymore. And so this leads to an emotional and spiritual roller coaster ride of a Christian life when you live with legalism. Uh, Some days are good, some days are bad based upon how I'm performing. This belief, this legalism is contrary to what the scriptures teach us because what this is teaching us is to be led back to the law. Remember that Jesus, when he came into the picture in the New Testament, He came, and when he came, he opened up the beginning of a new covenant, which is a covenant of grace. And we we honor and respect and and understand why the law was in place, but we are no longer uh, to relate to God via the law. We are to relate to God via grace. And uh, this idea of legalism means, makes us believe and think that we please God when we obey the law, and when we don't, he hates us, is mad at us, and we are unworthy. Can I give you a a truth today that can bring some good news to your life? God loves you just the same when you're good and when you're bad. In other words, nothing changes how much, how completely, how perfectly God loves you and me. And this is a good thing for us to know. How many of you would say, hey, some days I'm really strong and good spiritually. You know, I read my word. I spend time with God. Some days. Some days. Anybody? Like some days? You you can say that? Yeah? Some days? Yeah? Some of you never? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Anybody some days, like, it's good? Yeah, yeah. How many of you, some days, you're not as strong spiritually? You're like, oh, I didn't do, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of most of us, probably both, right? Some days, like, super strong. Some days, not so strong. Now, think about this. What if God's love for you was determined based on that? Well, that's what we fall into when we fall into legalism, when we believe this, and when we treat others as if this is the truth. Because not only does legalism affect me, but now I become hypercritical of how others are living. Because you're not doing what, and I'm doing more than you. And the comparison, imagine if God only loved you on the days where you were really good. Think about how insecure that might make you in that love. There are a lot of Christians who are living very insecure spiritual lives because they think their relationship with God is based on how good they are. Or how not good they are. And so when they mess up, the enemy comes in with condemnation and just squashes them to feel like God hates me. He's unhappy with me. I'm unworthy. And so you can't live a victorious Christian life that's full of joy and purpose when that's your your fear every morning you wake up. I want to remind you today that God loves you just the same all the time. Now, 
Again, he doesn't love you more when you're being good, love you less when you're being bad. He loves you just as much. Now, let's get something clear. Is he pleased with everything that you do and I do? No. It's kind of like a parent. When, you're, when your son or daughter messes up, do you, do you all of a sudden love them less? Do you love your, your child less because they messed up or because they even hurt you? No, you love them. Sometimes you love them even more, right? And it's the same thing with our heavenly father. Now, now question, are you pleased with everything your son and daughter does? And would there be some, would, would, would you wish that they made some different decisions that were a little more aligned with maybe God and what you thought sometimes? Yeah, yeah. So it's not that God is pleased with what we're doing when we're not doing right things or good things that we should be doing um, because he has a desire for us to align again with his word, but it doesn't determine that how much he loves me. He has proven that he loves me completely. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, man, if you know him, you can be rest assured that not only does he know you, but he loves you. And if you don't know him, he already loves you and he already paid the price for you too. Now, this also affects us when we think about eternity because when we think of eternity, we say, oh, my goodness, if, 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 if Jesus is coming back and, and if I die, where am I going? And so it leads us back to the scale. Well, if, if, if there's a little more weight on the good, then, then I'm good. Oh, but if there's a little too bad, oh, so I got to do more good things. I got to be more, I got to do more religious things because then that, that'll help me be saved. Can you guys see through that? It's false. It, it's false. I got to make sure I do more on this side. And so what happens is we try, to, we try to put things on the outside superficially and try to do religious things or things that we think and consider are good. If I go to church enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I pray for a few more hours a week, maybe I could just barely make it because I did a lot of bad things last week. So I got I to gotta level it up this week. This is not the way that God operates. By the way, the whole reason Jesus came was to help deliver us from legalism and to teach us how to live in relationship with him, not on the basis of law, how it was prior to him, but on the basis of love so that we don't obey him because we're obligated to. We obey him because we want to. We love him, and there's a big difference between those two. And the reason you can never, by the law and by legalism, have a solid relationship with God is because, is because you can't deal with your biggest problem, and your biggest problem is you. <laughs> My biggest problem is me. Even when we do good things, sometimes we do the right things with the wrong motives. That's how messed up we are sometimes. And so it's possible to do right things, good things. So, so what we do is we try to dress things up to look like we deserve it. I heard a pastor once say, you can dress a pig up in a tuxedo, but he's still a pig. <laughs> it's the same with us. We can put stuff on superficially, spiritually, religiously, but it doesn't change the fact of who we are inside. And what God is after the most is not in what you and I look on the outside or how we do things. What he's most concerned about is the inside, our hearts. Pa Pastor Virgin, can you bring some biblical context? Romans 3.23 up on the screens. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who, who has sinned? All. All of us. Isaiah 53.6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, again, all of us, we all have a sinful nature. So when Jesus came to the earth, to the, to the world, one of the biggest things that he wanted to deal with among those that he preached to was this issue of legalism. Why? Because it was, it was all around him. In fact, there was a specific group of people surrounding Jesus. Anybody remember the name of these guys who, who thought they were so hot? 
And they knew so much. They were the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. And they did so much good. They did all the right things. They followed the law to the T. But it's interesting that Jesus came to confront them, and he was pretty strong with them. Let me show you a few verses. Matthew 7, 22. Look at this. <laughs> Look at this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophesying in his name is a good thing to do. And in your name, drive out demons. That's good. That's helpful. And in your name, perform many miracles, these good things, religious, spiritual things. Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Notice all the good stuff they were doing. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you because these were people who were doing some good things, but they were doing good things out of religion, not born out of a relationship. It was superficial and external, not internal. All right, check this out. Matthew 23. Verse 23, this is pretty rough here. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and religious leaders. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, a tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These are pretty, pretty strong words from Jesus here. He was very firm about the fact that you don't earn favor with God by trying to be good. By trying to outweigh more good on the scale than bad. Because the real issue is not external or religious or law. It's your heart. God is all about reaching your heart. Salvation is about the inside. And once he gets a hold of your inside, it begins to be reflected on the outside. And he tells the Pharisees, you guys are just penguins in tuxedos. You guys are just pigs in tuxedos, I'm sorry. Okay, so we've talked about these four false beliefs about God. Let's talk about the last point, which is just good news truth about how you have a relationship with God. Here's the good news. Finish off with this. Relationship with God is a gift of grace to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to pray that maybe I get five amens on this one. Relationship with God is a gift of grace to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift. This is good news. It is a gift, by the way, of grace. For who? For those who put their faith in Jesus. Because we could never be good enough to earn salvation. We could never do enough to be worthy of God's grace. 
We could never change ourselves or save ourselves. God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this is the beauty of Jesus Christ coming to the world is that he gave a plan and he made a way and he provided a path to salvation for us to be able to get on this airplane called the plane of salvation, which is very, very clear. And the plan is very clear. Let me walk you the simple plan, Romans 5. If you have Romans, there's a few verses in Romans here. Romans 5. Let me walk you through this. And this is good news. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Check it out. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait to see if we were going to be good and then say, okay, I'll die for you now. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. Turn over a page to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen there? Now go to Romans 10. We already read this one. I want to read Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, and also verse 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of, the wa- of water of life. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Of life, It says that the spirit and the bride say, come on, get on the plane of salvation, come. You know, I, I was remembering this week as I was studying this. I used to work as, an, as a, an occupational therapist. I used to work in a hospital in North Miami Beach. And I remember um, one specific patient that I had, uh, an older gentleman. And I, for about two weeks, I was doing, you know, therapeutic activities and exercise with, exercise with him. He was very, very sick, very, very not well. I knew he was a believer by things that he would say to me. And, and then he found out uh, through the process, he, you know, that I'm a Christian, that, that you know, that, that I love the Lord. And, and we would, during our time of, of sessions together, he would ask me questions. He would open the door for me to talk. And I realized kind of what kind of up Christian upbringing he came up, beca- came up in because he kept expressing to me this doubt, not feeling well in his relationship with God, feeling very unsure. And I asked him, why do you feel this way? And everything he, he kind of um, communicated to me, it showed me that he was, he was living under legalism because he expressed how he just felt like he didn't know if he was saved. He said, I, I, I believe in Jesus, I've accepted him, but I don't know because I haven't always done the right thing and I've messed up and, and all these things. So I, so I started asking him questions and talking him through what the Bible teaches specifically about salvation and about our faith in Jesus. And little by little, just walking him through verses like the ones that we've read today helped him understand there's nothing that you or me or anybody could ever do to be worthy because everything that needed to be done was done. Jesus did it. He paid it all. It's our choice And it's our decision to believe. It doesn't say those who are perfect and never sin will be saved. It says those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus died and rose again, call in the name of Jesus, will be saved. 
whoever believeth in him. And so I told him it's not so much about your now, 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 our lives will reflect him more the closer we draw to him. But his love for us, his salvation, and heaven, that's not a gift that he gives and takes away depending on the day and how you acted. This is, this is a gift by grace. And I remember by the last conversation we had, a kind of a peace in his heart. And I wonder today if there's many people, you maybe struggled with this. Like, like, Jesus, don't come today because if you come today, I don't know if I'm getting on that plane, right? Because of what I looked at last night, because of the words I said yesterday, or because of what I just did right now. And it, and it puts you and me in this position of insecurity as if, as if God was insecure, as if, as if the choice, as if the ultimate power was in, in our hands. We're, none of us could do it. And that is why we need his grace. Even, Pastor, even at the last minute, I've been at dying beds with people. I've been in the final moments with people throughout my journey as a pastor. And even in the last minute, I believe there's hope. As long as there's not, now nobody promised us tomorrow. So don't leave for tomorrow what you can do today. But even, even in the last moment, if somebody has lived a crazy life, they can come and confess Jesus. I believe, I believe, yes. Well, that's not fair. Well, some people have to come to the end. Now, now they didn't get to enjoy abundant life here on earth. Where do you see that? Well, I see that in Luke 23. In Luke 23, we see the scene of Jesus on the cross. And who's on his right and on his left? Two criminals, two thieves. And one of them is kind of, is kind of taunting Jesus, saying, hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you take us down from here? And the other one responds, Luke 23, 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this, this criminal, in his last moment, calls out to Jesus, and he basically says, Jesus, I realize, I want to get on this plane of salvation. I realize that you are actually my only hope. I've messed up. I deserve this punishment. Would you please remember me? And Jesus says, what does Jesus say? Sorry, too late. Which is probably what a lot of us would say if it was up to us, because a lot of us are kind of legalistic. Well, let me see. No, he said, truly I tell you today, you will be with me. I'm grateful for such a redeeming and loving Savior, aren't you? That he would choose to extend grace to you and to me. And so, and so um, last verse, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2.8. And he's trying to help the Ephesians move out of legalism, out of this good slash bad dynamic in relationship with God which is always up and down roller coaster, trying to move them from law to love. And notice what he says, Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if there's something I want you to take home today is that salvation is never about you. Salvation is about the grace given to you. Salvation is not about what you did to make it to heaven. Salvation, experiencing eternal life and relationship with God, is about receiving a gift of grace from God. And that grace will change you now, and it will change you for eternity. And that's why Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things 
old have passed away, behold, he makes them new. And so, if, if you're still living under the myth of universalism or the curse of pluralism in many ways to God, if you're still living with some idea that you don't have any choice because it's already been predetermined by God, some are going to heaven and saved and some are just going to hell. He's already made that decision for you. Or if you're still living under legalism, thinking that somehow you have to be good enough to get to heaven, let me encourage you today that these are all false beliefs about God. And when we pass them through the test of the truth and the word of God, we realize and we are encouraged that we can understand, maybe I believed something false up till today, but I don't have to keep believing something false once the truth has been exposed. And so you can get these false beliefs out of your head and out of your heart and step into true belief that salvation and relationship with God is all about a gift of grace when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in Mary, not in Allah, not in John Smith, not in any of the other prophets or religious leaders of the world in history. Not in L. Ron Hubbard. Only in Jesus. And so, the cry of the Holy Spirit, the call, that tug, is get on the plane of salvation because there's a seat for you if you're not there yet. I want to do two prayers. I want to pray for all of us right now to for all of us to be able to use God's word as a truth detector so we can identify what's false and what's true. And then after that, I want to do one last prayer for anybody who might say today, hey, I want to make the decision to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior personally. So let, let's pray. Lord, uh, we come before you once again here at this church asking you to help us identify what is true and what is false. Today, Lord, we want our beliefs to line up with the truth of your word and the message of your gospel. Forgive us for believing human ideologies, for believing false beliefs like universalism, pluralism, legalism, or even that it's not even up to us, predestination, predetermination. Lord, I pray that today we would be set free because your word says that we will know the truth and that your truth will set us free. Thank you that we don't have to live with doubt in our minds and hearts of whether or not you love us. Thank you, Lord, that it's not up to us because the truth is none of us could ever be good enough. We can never measure up. We've all fallen short. But, Lord, thank you today that we are reminded that salvation is a gift. It is a gift that you've offered us because of your grace. And it can be activated in our lives through faith. You've given us free will to choose. So thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends. And you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.